for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified podcast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Today, we have Francis Mabarang. I hope I was close enough. Close enough, but you're good. Okay, cool. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. Quite a long day, but I'm getting there. Yep, I, I feel you on that one. It's it's 7.30 and I've still, after this podcast, I've still got about six more hours of work, work to do. So I, yeah. I feel you. I'm also doing live streaming in a new platform, in a new platform where I also do sing, the dance or chat, hang around. I'm a new, contra- I'm a contracted streamer. So even though life of the day is already finished, yep. take a little break and everything in the evening so happening. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, yep, that that's currently my life. You know, life was a creative in the pandemic, right? Yep, absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's like talk to a lot of musicians, and it's like, so what are you doing with all your free time? And a lot of them are like, oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing that, and I'm like, oh, I haven't had a spit of free time, but cool. You know, <laughs> I it's kind of funny, um, but. First off, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, for giving us the time to sit down and chat a little bit. Uh, no, I appreciate you giving uh, giving artists like me uh, a platform to even showcase ourselves. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So well, let's kind of talk about you a little bit and get to know you a little bit more before we jump into your creative endeavors, music, live streaming, performing, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, what's kind of your origin story? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I'm actually going to do my intro and usually on my live stream. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the stream. My name is Francis. I'm a Filipino currently living here in New York City. I'm an actor, singer, dancer, host, and a content creator. So I moved here to New York two years ago. Uh, uh, to pursue uh, performing arts. So I was, I'm a student. I was a student. I graduated last year at the American Musical Dramatic Academy, which is why I was drinking from my tumbler. <laughs> through the music, uh, conservatory program of integrated or musical theater integrated program. And I graduated last year and have been since perfor- actively um, doing my best to be in the performance life ever since. Awesome. And so you moved to New York two years ago, straight from the Philippines? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what was it about uh, coming over to America? What was it about that appealed to you? Actually, to be honest, my journey as an artist started way, way, way young. I, I'm, the, I'm, like, I'm one of those kids who've been, who was just drawn into performing into the arts as well. Like, unknowingly. I started as like dancing around in different school events. And then I ended up singing, ended up acting, but I'm stuck most of the time just like dancing, performing and all that. Yeah. And then 
because I was also a full-time athlete back home. Yeah. Full-time student athlete, actually, until I reached college where I have to stop all extracurriculars because I was a consular and diplomatic affairs major. Mm. And the own, and because I'm the eldest, I'm a Filipino, I'm Asian. Uh, I were either be a lawyer, engineer, nurse, doctor, or accountant, or a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried, I tried to go to be on that route, but it's just there was like a year after I graduated college, I was already like pursuing other stuff, trying to find my life, trying to get my own career. Mm-hmm. I found an opportunity to audition to a, a talent convention, a worldwide casting talent convention that happened in LA. It's the International Presentation of Performers, or IPOP. And then um, I auditioned, just taking my chances. And funny enough, the night, the night of that audition, after the audition, because I, I got a call back. The night before the callback, though, I received... Uh, <laughs> Uh, my acceptance are to masters, okay, which is for the um, masters of international business and social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. at the Hall International Business School. I didn't pursue it because of my parents already said that okay, I wanna uh, at before at that time I was already working in the corporate field, so I said it's best if I should just go with my masters, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, why not? Um, I've said my parents already set for education. But because of that opportunity, it's a major crossroad for me that I have to choose one. Masters or the opportunity for me to be in LA and take a shot and doing, chasing my dream, my lifelong dream as a performer. So I did. And then ever since I've been coming back and forth in the US, like this was 2016. I've been, com- I've been coming back and forth in the US to pursue and find opportunities for me to work as an actor or as a performer, which were in... About that time, I decided and I realized that um, in the, one of the biggest ways in order for me to actually pursue it is to get proper training, mm-hmm. which is why I went to study. And although I've heard this a lot before, I may have the talent, but I need some nourishment, you know, like what I've always been told. So it's like, okay. And I think, well, like for the past few years before I moved here, I've been trying to like find my way out as I tried to discover more of myself. It was a long process. I still continued uh, watching, pursuing here and there, but nothing really progressed. So Mm -hmm. I ended up going to the conservatory. I ended up finding AMDA. That's how I found myself more. That's how I nourished myself to becoming an actor and a performer and a singer as well, most likely, most primarily. So, and ever since I've been uh, hitting the ground running. And so you, you mainly, or you do a lot of, um, state or Broadway style stage performing. Correct? Yeah. Primarily musical theater. Cause that's, I was, okay, that's, that's... That I was, I was trained, but I want the musical theater world, the very rock contemporary voice. Okay. So even I cannot, uh, as much as we love fans of the opera, uh-huh. Les Miserables, the old classic operetta so- operatic style songs, mm-hmm. uh, although I can sing them, it's just that I'm not that stereotypical voice. I'm not the stereotypical look. I'm, not, I'm very androgynous looking. I'm not the leading that material. So it's something that I have to overcome as a person mm-hmm. to find my, the own artist that I am. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even classically trained, so I was like, okay, let's see what's gonna go, what's gonna happen. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so 
you started performing when you were really young. Uh, was that something you'd mentioned, or was that something that your family also did? Was your family also very creative, or was it just something that you kind of picked up on? I actually just kind of picked up uh, picked up okay. on. But growing up, I've been a big fan of music, okay. and because of my family as well, like because Filipinos are very known for karaoke. Mm -hmm. Every, in any party, in any occasion, we're going to do karaoke. Okay. Because one, karaoke is invented by a Filipino but patented in Japan. But, and then my mother, primarily my grandfather, my mother's side, maternal grandmother, a maternal grandfather, mm -hmm. he's really good in guitar. That's how we pick up music as well. Mm -hmm. And for my family, like, they literally love to sing. We can carry out a lot of karaoke and everything. And what's, in, what's interesting is that um, when we do karaoke, because they love the Beatles. My mom, my parents are born in the 60s. Yeah. So if there's a song that's been, there's, there's a Beatles song that has been sung, automatically every Beatles song that has ever known, that has ever been released has to be sung. And mm -hmm. then we're going to move on with Bee Gees and then Stylistics, Sticks, even uh, every, like all the classic mm -hmm. rock songs, we're going to go one by one by one, and then we're gonna move to disco. We're gonna go to seventies, eighties rock, mm -hmm. and then they're gonna leave leave us alone yeah. <laughs> because it's the nineties, and all of those are like our our era already. Yeah, like every there's always going to be one in the family that's very rock influenced, with Deep Purple, Scorpio, and everything. That has become a a thing. So yeah. it's something that in my family has been engraved and like has been nourished as well in our end. So that's how I grew up. Okay. Even my dad is like, he loves the crooner ones. Like, he loves My Way. Uh -huh. He loves Matt Monroe, Engelbert Humperdick. Those, that's why when, when I say those names, like, people were like, why do you know those names? Why do you know those singers? It's like, uh, blame my parents. Like, at least, because I know these songs because of them. Yeah. That's why I keep on telling them. And I enjoy it because, and to be honest, the last concert that I attended with my family was Engelbert, Hunk Engelbert Humphrey Dick back in the Philippines. Oh, wow. And his voice is still the same. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. I think that's like one of the things it, that's really interesting is all the musicians that, like all, out of everybody I've talked to, the one common thing is their parents introduced them to some sort of music that helped mold them as a musician or as a creative in general like and that's how they've kind of styled themselves you know it's... I agree I agree and then uh one way or another they're gonna find themselves and what kind of music yeah. they would be interested in like for me my initial interests were always going to be pop rock mm -hmm. and then I, and I suddenly had the interest with slow rock with mm -hmm. Glam rock as well, like honestly, by Harem Scaram, Bon Jovi, and yep. everything. Yep. And then my brother, who is much more of a musician than I am, because both of us learn how to play, uh, try to go to learn new instruments, yep. to play how to, to do to play an instrument. I really wanted to play the violin, but my mom said that's too expensive. Go with piano instead. Okay. My brother wanted guitar. My mom said just go guitar. Like I don't want to go with the same thing as my brother. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I ended up learning a bit of the piano for like good 12 sessions. Yeah. My brother is for guitar. The problem was at the time, because pianos are too expensive, like early 2000s. So I wasn't able to practice on my own. Like my brother who has a guitar, it's much more cheaper, it's easy access. 
Yeah. And we have a lot of guitarists in our family, so he can he has the time to practice. He has a lot of resources to do yeah. so. But unlike for me, I have to wait every week in order for I have a find, have to find a way in order for me to practice my lessons. Yeah. But funny enough, my brother is a much more of a natural of a musician than I am because he was able to learn how to play the piano on his own. Mm-hmm. He had his in a matter of years, he was able to put up his own band set. Oh wow. Like he has his own bass guitar one at one point. I remember Christmas, he asked for an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Birthday, which was about a month later, he asked for a bass guitar. And then graduations, which, which is like months later, he asked for a drum set. So that's how he progressed. Wow. I know, which is like, that's quite a disadvantage on my end. Come on. Yeah. Well, what I, what I think is really funny is that you originally wanted to play violin. And your mom said, no, it's too expensive. Go learn to play the piano. And it's like, piano is just as expensive, if not more expensive, depending exactly. on- Exactly, it's much more expensive. But, uh, and that's the thing as well. Like, I was like, okay, it's because, the re- only reason I got into uh, that is because of my brother. If it weren't for my brother having, expressing his interest on learning how to play an instrument, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be exposed myself. Yeah. But to be honest though, I'd rather have my, um, that, um, uh, uh, at first thoughts, I'd rather go with voice lessons yeah. instead, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Do you still play the piano at all, or is that kind of something? No, that, uh, I can pluck my way out of it, okay. but I'm not as a musician that I yeah. wanted as much as I wanted to be. If I, would, if I had the time to actually spend my time to be in the piano and focus, I yeah. probably would have known how to play a good amount of songs gotcha so but like as as far as trying to fool other musicians you're not a piano player but if you had to if you were put on the spot like hey play us a song to just i know a few songs in the piano like a thousand miles as well Uh, i know how to do let it be okay hey jude so yes see beatles you could fool a drunk friend that yeah i could pull a drunk friend yeah okay got it got it um do you and your uh brother ever play music together at all or is yeah we used to jam a lot if it weren't for him though i wouldn't have been interested with a lot of alternative modern alternatives pop rocks like an emo i've been i've had the emo phase as well (laughs) like my chemical romance fallout boy green day maroon (laughs) five Simple Plan, all those bands. Yeah. Like there was like an era that is full of bands. I'm right, like early 2000s. Yeah. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't have been exposed to that one. And that's how I started slowly finding my voice. Yeah. And then I suddenly got involved. I suddenly got interested with R&B and then pure pop. So that's how I maneuvered my way until I went to high school wherein I ended up doing theater. Mm-hmm. My first theater show that I did in drama club or theater club is Lady Mitz, where I was the pimp. And then months later, I did Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. So like full-blown musicals. And then we did Shakespeare. So that's how I found myself into the arts, where I found, really found myself in theater. That's how I kind of molded everything there. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's really cool. Um, so you've been in New York for about two years. What is New New York kind of the place you want to stay, or do you see yourself moving out to LA? Or 
To be honest, though, the first time I stepped into New York, I was in my undergrad as a consular in diplomatic affairs. I was uh, I was doing the conference from uh, National Model United Nations at the UN headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I don't know if it happens to you. There would be moments in life wherein you would step into a place and suddenly your soul just sinks in and feels like it's home. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when like, three weeks later, as I was going back home. I felt like my soul is no longer with me. Yeah. It, that's what I felt. Yeah. Until years later, I came back to New York. I said, after the IPOP conference, like a month after the IPOP conference, I got called by a time management company who's interested to sign me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went back, like literally my soul says, you're back. Like literally, you know mm-hmm. something that sells in the, in the back of the Oh, yeah. you're back. Like saying, welcome home. But yeah. you are sure that you're not going to settle. So it became a natural instinct and mission in my, at that time that I have to find a way to move to New York. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So yeah. it felt like New York really called me, yeah. my soul. And you, belong, or you feel like you belong there because just for whatever reason, it feels... Just for whatever reason, until like years later when I suddenly saw, told myself and I decided like, you know what? My parents wanted me to study mm-hmm. uh, uh, and pursue a, a, a traditional career. And I said, if I'm going to study, I'd rather go with, one, with, uh, uh, with the one that I really, really wanted to do. Mm-hmm which is performing arts. And I had one, besides I need training anyway. So why the heck not, right? Yeah. So I had to, fi- to fight for it. Though. I have to prove on them that I can make it and I can do it as well. Mm-hmm. So it was something that, quite of a journey for me because naturally for music and performing, my brother is the one they're going to think of, not me. Yeah. So I had to prove and fight for myself about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, but you did also go the more traditional academic route and graduated before you started pursuing your. Exactly. Uh, so you do like if for what for whatever reason, things fall through and you have like a really bad experience or you know something happens, you have that to kind of fall back on. And I, I like, I mean, I I know because I'm in the same boat as you are, like. I want to be out doing my own thing, doing my creative passion and want to make that work. But I, in my parents' eyes, it's like, you're- Why you're wasting your life. Yeah. Well, not, not so much that it's, you, you want to be safe. Like they don't want you to- Yeah. There's something, there's safety. I mean, I think it's a natural instinct by parents though. Yeah. I mean, I cannot blame them. They're parents. Yeah. Um, I always tell them, there's no safety. Yeah. There is no safety. Even though I, this is what I always say, even though you can, you sh- it doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even yeah. though I can be in this career with the, with, let's say the genius that I am, yeah. it doesn't mean that I should be pursuing this career, this, ca- this path in my life. And that's what I always tell them because I know for a fact this is not where I'm gonna grow. This is not where I'm gonna live, and this is not what I am meant to do. And like w- with regards to that question, I even had the kind of 
I had a teacher back in the conservatory ask me, tell me, so you're supposed to be a lawyer. Then why the heck are you becoming an actor? Yeah. My retaliation is simple as that. So if you're a big shot Broadway director, then why the heck are you a teacher? Yep. Oh, yeah. What well, actually, you know, you know, you know, it's quite funny though, is I know a lot of like, this is a little bit of a strange parallel, but my buddy is a lawyer, but he's also one of the best actors I've ever seen in my life. Like he's been in some pretty decent sized movies and that's like his real passion. But unlike you, he went more towards the lawyer side of things and he does acting on the side. Whereas you just went full straight into the creative aspect and component. Yeah, I want to go full in because I know there is nothing for me in that. Although I have the mind, the understanding, the brilliance, the disposition, the the degree, let's say. It's just that it's not not for me. I'm not going to be satisfied. Like, I'm going to quote Angelica Schuyler. Like, I'll never be satisfied. I'll never be satisfied. I'll never be satisfied. So like, no. I'm not going to be satisfied at all. Yep, I got you. Um, as far as, so acting is your main priority and then dancing and singing are just kind of like secondary passions? Or what, what would you say your main passion is as far as your... It's always, it, it became, there was a point in the conservatory asked, oh, you have to find, associate, um, figure out yourself. What are you, a singer, especially for musical theater? Are you an actor, a singer, or a dancer? Rank yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would like to say all, mm-hmm. as much as I would like to say all, but I'm not, I'm not the Broadway type of a dancer where like I can like do, cla- I'm like classical yeah. trained and I cannot, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a classically trained singer, although I can sing classical like like very traditional like Caro mio ben, credi mio ben, and I can act because hello, everyone can act, but because of certain technique, you have to focus on a certain way. Um. I would always say very equal. Okay. I may not be the best, but I always trying to hone each and every aspect equally. Okay. Especially as a theater performer and musical theater, you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. And what did, and what the Broadway community world uh, would say, a mover, not a dancer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So you're kind of able to jump into any situation that they might yeah. need you to fill. Yeah, but again, I'm not like, for a dancer, singer, or like, I'm not the traditional singer. Yeah. I'm not the traditional dancer, not the traditional actor. So I'm, I'm very ambiguous, not only because, especially touching on the life of people of color in the industry. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very long discussion, but yeah. I would say for Filipinos, we're always going, of all Asians, we're the ones being boxed out because we're the darkest of all Asians, we're just, uh, we're the most in- articulate speaking with regards of Asians. Mm-hmm. And we're also what they call the Hispanic Asians or the Mexican Asians. Uh, that's, I... Which is okay, but not okay. Yeah. It's a backhanded thing. You know yeah. what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So if they cannot it's... find something that we could play, someone that could be, uh, that could play a Latino or, um, or a Hispanic, throw in a Filipino, they can sound like one. Okay. Or because of their color, we're brown people as well. So it's like... Nope. We're, we're, we're kind of our own thing over here. Like, we, we want the representation as well. I, exactly. I, Which is, I'm so happy that, especially in the middle of the pandemic, 
mm-hmm. with what's happening with uh, if it weren't for our friends in the black community, if it weren't for their leadership, if it if they didn't spark all these things, mm-hmm. representation would not happen. Absolutely. Speaking of the pandemic, I was kind of trying to figure out how long into the podcast I wanted to wait until we brought up the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> you know, because it is it's one of those things where originally it was just like, okay, we're not going to talk about the pandemic. We got 800 other things we can talk about. But then as we're, what, eight, nine months into this thing. It's hard it, not to talk about the pandemic, though. Yeah, it, it's just Because kind of like, it took on most of the 2018. 20 and yep. especially for us for theater for thespians yeah it's gonna extend because broadway shut down already until may 2021 oh really for another sure? full season oh wow i didn't like I, that was gonna be like my question was what's kind of the scale as far as shutdowns for you guys with 2021 or may of 2021 so you're looking at yeah so basically the entire season mm-hmm. another entire because normally a broadway season would start after the tony awards tony awards the ending of a season right it's always in june yeah normally a season would start on august september fall okay. around four and then would end on tony awards okay so imagine a full season that has been shut down. It's insane. Yeah, that's not, and like, what about like doing even on the smaller end? So you you got, you're you're talking on the aspect of like Broadway and like the bigger theater companies. Are are there thoughts of like the smaller, more local community? I was, there was a time that uh, at the beginning of the year, I booked a show, I was supposed to play Pepe. Or under on a production of Best Side Story in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So we were supposed to run like around Easter week, mm-hmm. but because of the pandemic, we are we got affected. Yeah. So it will. I'm I'm all gonna always say it would always take precedent. So if if uh, the big hubs like New York and LA would shut down, big productions would shut down. Small productions are going to shut down. Smaller yeah. theaters are going to shut down. Yeah. If Broadway shut down, off-Broadway was going to shut down. Off-Off-Broadway is going to shut down. What more for regional theaters? What more for community theaters? Mm-hmm. And there was oh, oh, actually a time as well that I, I booked a gig for a socially distanced outdoor theater mm-hmm. at the uh, somewhere in um, here in New York on the Upper West Side. But it also got canceled because a lot of the, although we were all rehearsing in Zoom, mm-hmm. we're doing as much as we can online because yeah. everything now is online based and Zoom based. Yeah. We're dedicating the last week of the entire show to rehearse and block ourselves so that we can also limit, you know, meeting each other yeah. and putting up circles on the grass so that we can, even the audience can socially isolate. Yeah. Like what the hair tour, the small touring comp- hair, company of hair yeah. on in the UK is doing with Matro, with Millie as well. That's what like that's what like they're doing very outdoor, but we weren't able to do so. We were supposed to be the first out, first physical theater happening in New York, but yeah, Everything. it literally had to you know. Yeah, I I completely get it. Um, what what are some of the uh, roles or uh, theater productions you've been involved in? Just like some of the bigger ones. Um, so, um, 
not as big as I would think. Uh, actually, the biggest show that I have done is a touring company of a children's touring TYA. We call it a TYA. Mm -hmm. It's a theater for young audience. It's a touring company uh, of Rainbow Fish, the musical, which is actually based from the book, mm -hmm. the children's book, Rainbow yep. Fish. I have played the sardine and the clown. The clownfish, not the clown, the clownfish. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, supposedly, I was supposed, uh, I'm gonna play Moat for a Shakespeare production of Love's Labor's Lost, which is the first, supposedly the first physical theater that's gonna happen outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to play Pepe for a wet production of West Side Story in Jersey. And a part of that, there's like a lot of things that has been passed as well. Like we, people have done, I was in the middle of a callback, but got canceled. Everything got canceled. In the middle of, because as actors, we always have to audition every single day. And apart from that, I, right now, actually, I'm quite lucky that the show, the equity, the uh, stage reading that I did last year mm -hmm. got picked up for a developmental run that is also going to run on October 23 and 24 via Zoom with an exclusive invite link. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, it got picked up because uh, it's called The Panic Defense. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it is the show that uh, written and directed by Sam Afomado. Uh, it is a, a collection of shows wherein it's a depiction of four different characters, victims of the panic defense or gay panic defense. That is actually that's was also it got picked up for Pride Plays mm -hmm. uh, that was sponsored by Brendan Yuri and Playbill. So we did a little excerpt of that four mo three monologues for the four of among the forecast that got presented to Pride Plays, and now it got picked up for a little revival of an online production of that one for develop uh, for the new developed version and i'm happy because i'm also retained um, all, all, most of the cast are still the same mm -hmm. and i'm really really happy because if you guys know the story of larry king the young queer ch child that has been shot in a computer class uh my role benny is based on that kid oh wow and it's also a reference, and there's a number more of like uh, queer LGBTQ people characters that are referenced in that one because of the term panic defense. And it is also to give light on hatred with regards to LGBT and people of color. Mm. Awesome. awesome. That, that should be, do, what's the, uh, or that's not, what's the date that's supposed to have or is oh it's going to be on october 23 and 24 on a okay. zoom uh a private zoom link so i can okay. send you the details as well if you're if you'd like to register about it okay awesome awesome um and then outside of theater music all that fun stuff what do you, what's some stuff you like to do with your free time what do you like to luckily enough though like three months in the pandemic i'm like everyone's been sluggish trying to catch up on everything that they can watch and i was like shit like relying on whatever quote unquote stimulus that they were able to because i was working at madison square garden as a runner okay. vip runner for like two weeks in when the pandemic hit yeah and like march april march april may they were giving like a weekly stimulus yeah. to like help their employees but yeah. they have to end at the end of of may and then lucky enough i got uh, i was able to secure a job for 
uh, a startup production company uh, mm. that works for Amazon Live as a creative director. Okay. I was supposed to be one of the hosts, presenters. Okay. And then the owner tapped me weeks later to become the creative director. Like her. Oh. <laughs> and like I'm the first full time, apart from our that the tech lead, that they, the technical director, yeah. now the technical director, that uh, has been working for us a long time. I'm the first one that he had full-time who's been working with him ever since June. And then our team expanded. Like the talent number one became our... Joined the team a month later, became our talent manager. And I'm I'm still doing my hosting and acting duties, presenter duties as well. And then we added a number of people to help us. Because it it literally, this growth is very, very steep. Yeah. And it's a marrying of e-commerce and video production because okay. we're still working for Amazon, which is yeah. a big e-commerce thing, yeah. but they have their own platform called Amazon Live. So it's a new like live streaming platform, like QBC, like home shopping network or those late night TV shows where you just yeah. like, call now for you to blah, 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 blah. It's yeah. something like that, but very virtual. Okay. So that's what we do. And we provide different video content materials for that, for them as well. And apart from that, yeah, I do live streaming as well. Like a lot of, I know a lot of actors went to Twitch for, um, because to as because they're into gaming, yeah. right? Because Twitch was primarily for gaming, or made their own YouTube channel for just for them to like post their own covers or mm-hmm. do their own vlogs or cooking shows or whatever. A lot of uh, actors ended up doing cooking, baking. Yeah. Sourdough primarily a lot of whatever I've seen a lot of sourdough photos. Okay. Yeah, and that's how I ended up like at the beginning of August. That's where I got contracted to be um a live uh, uh, a certified live streamer mm-hmm. for a new platform called Live It. So okay. I've been live streaming every single day there. And it's been going great so far. Nice. But right now because it's like expanding and there's a lot more people coming in people are finding out about livid wanted to become a streamer as well and we have to audition actually because a funny how i got that gig is that through backstage okay so like even though in the pandemic there's so small productions like trans person they're acting yeah. you know yeah. their indie life or whatever like even for like a zoom reading yeah would do it i also did a couple of zoom shows yeah. Both Shakespeare, like a friend of mine started an acting, a collective called Holt's Peace Theater Collective. Mm-hmm. And um, one, I participated in their first two shows, both Shakespeare. First mm-hmm. is The Merry Wives of Windsor, where I played Robert Shallow, Justice Robert Shallow. And the second one was Cymbeline, where I played Guiderius, one of the brothers. So that's how I, at least able to like keep myself sane with regards to the pandemic. And also helping one of my good friends who also started his own podcast in, through Anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his name is Anthony Piccioni. He's also a writer, producer, and a director. Uh, I read for a developed first draft of his play, which is um, One Empire, One God, which is also now about to happen this week oh, nice. on uh, streaming. So through, I think it's going to be Facebook or Zoom or exclusive link. So that's how I at least managed to keep myself sane. Mm-hmm. And there was a point as well where in, in Instagram, I would go with uh, like 
I call quarantunes. Mm-hmm. I like almost every week I would post a quarant- a song that I love to cover. I'd like to see if I can demo yeah. and all that. And just now, like those, keeping uh, my same. Are those uh, original songs or are they more covers? They're more of a cover. I did. I was working on some original songs, but I don't want to like put every put anything out there yet because it's still under development. Gotcha. Uh, I I do really wanted to start putting up my own music soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I don't want to. I'm still. I'm quite of a perfectionist with regards of making my own draft. Even I was even able to write my own play. Okay. So that's how particular I was. Like I'm very, very particular. I'm very, and uh, I don't wanna, like, I have as like there's something wrong to send back, even just for one thing, send it back, like literally. Yeah. That's how I am. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, as far as like your original music, like not to put too much out there, what would your ideal song? Would it be like a song, an album, a collection of songs? Like what? what would for you- now, um. I have a collection of songs. Okay. I have some songs that uh, I have on deck that um, that are in development. Okay. One of my biggest inspirations, to be honest, is when I started diving into writing my own songs. Because before I was doing some writing lyrics. Mm-hmm. I'm a lyric, quote unquote, lyricist. Yeah. And then that's how I slowly dove into composition, even. In the conservatory, there was an elective as music composition. Mm-hmm. I have a song that was able to fit to write in weeks that we were able to like finish, and then I would like to further develop that song and rearrange that song and find a better version of that song. But because I was also actively um, being uh, taking classes, voice classes yeah. with a new uh, with a musical theater singer, composer, writer. Uh, his name is Drew Gasparini. I don't know if you've heard his name. He released an album earlier this spring about a new album, a concept album called We Aren't Kids Anymore. And I've been a fan of his music for a while now. If, if it weren't for musical theater, I've discovered him through one of my classmates. And I've gone to some of his concerts. And I, after conservatory, I needed to, you know, Sometimes you'll have to like get lessons in order for like to keep your engines running. Uh, I ended up taking classes with him. So oh, wow. that I was able to work with him. And because I love his music. I love his... When he released his new music album called We Aren't Kids Anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the night where my paternal grandmother died. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was... It was quite a powerful song. Plus, there's a song in there called "I'll Stick Around" mm-hmm. that I'm still trying to like finesse because I really want to cover that song. Mm. Um, it's amazing. It's just amazing because it hits like what might end up at that time in the height of pandemic. Yeah. I said, like, especially where I am right now as an international artist, it says like, "I'll stick around." Yeah, it's like I'll stick around no matter what's gonna happen. It's like. Wherever I am, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to fight for what I have to do. Because I've already wasted a lot of resources. I've already put sacrificed a lot. I've even sacrificed a luxurious life I have in the Philippines. Or I have my own condo unit. I have my own chauffeur. I have someone who can clean my place. Someone who can I can just call in to cook food for me. Or I can just have something delivered. Mm-hmm. And the luxury of having my parents over there, like, I can just go there whenever I want. Like, compared to now, I'm, like, alone 
in a big city mm-hmm. uh, halfway across the world. Yeah. So it was a very different dynamic. Yeah. Um, was when the pandemic hit, was there concern that you may have to go back to the Philippines or was it? I was, I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm on OPT, so I'm quite okay. Okay. But there was at that time because uh, for OPTs, you cannot be unemployed for more than 90 days collectively in that entire year. Yeah. Good thing though, uh, I'm still able, to, because it's a pandemic and I can, I'm here. My parents really wanted me to go, to go back home. And I said, you know how much it's like thousands of dollars one way. Yeah. Just, that's just one way. And there's no indefinite time. When can I come back? Because yeah. I was vouching for my for everything, for my O one and everything. And I said I'd rather stay here, do everything, do the best I can. Because mm-hmm. a lot of my international friends went back home. Yeah. Like expecting to be to come back like May. Yeah. Yeah. Well what time is it now? It's already October. Yeah. That that is very much a thing. I I talk to a lot of people. I know I have a lot of musicians that I know through the podcast that live over in London and they live all in all different parts of the world. Like one lives in Portugal, one lives in Mexico, you know, just all over and they all went home and now they're trying to get stuff together for their band because they're all in like one band. Not only that, especially with the debacle we're in over the course of the summer about uh, the, the current administration is like, doing something against international students yeah. and the OPT and the art, the O one is being spared in everything. It was a big debacle because a lot of my international friends who are still at school mm-hmm. are now being kicked out of the dorms. Oh no. Yeah. I, I do remember. Um, there was a time like that everyone was panicking. Like they don't know what to do yeah. and they have to like rent. They have to spend thousands of dollars in order for their entire belongings to be stored mm-hmm. like indefinitely and then they have to spend like thousands of dollars a month which yeah. is not really worth it and i was like why wouldn't you house your international students yeah. at this time of pandemic that cannot go home yeah it, it was it, a big debacle yeah we i like i mean where I, i'm currently in central texas and i live in a town of a pretty decent sized university uh baylor university and then there's a no, there's like big universities all around where I where I currently live, and I think it was Baylor that said they weren't not I like this 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 is the wrong verbiage that they used, but it's the only way I know how to word it. But they basically said they weren't inviting their international students to come back. Yeah. Which is, to be honest, this is what I, I, this is my biggest disposition and this is my biggest argument. Why is it that American educational institutions would lure international students in and use us as their major cash flow? Because we cannot even study, we cannot even pay at least half or full of the tuition fee. And then compared to the Americans who can live with loans and us to be your direct cash loan for you to spend and pay your teachers, your staff, your education, put your salaries into your mouth, put your facilities. And then right now, in the time of the time we're being kicked out and being deported, you are not even going to save us. Like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. It was a big thing. That it was a big thing. Like, I was like literally t- telling this before. And I have, I'm like, I was calling even some of my uh, 
the alliances that we have like with the people of color and the black community and because people think we're immigrants oh yes we are you can classify as immigrants but technically with what our visas is we're non-immigrants mm -hmm. so understand the disposition that we have as much as you would like to support you guys with regards of your um, political stances, especially with what's happening with this current administration. We cannot because once we get uh, called out, we're going to be deported. We're going to be sent back home because anything can be used against us. Anything that has been published or whatever, that's why I keep on telling them. So please understand where our position is. We support you, but this is where we stand because we cannot really, we're limited. Mm -hmm. And now we're the ones needing help. Where the hell are you guys? Yeah. Okay. It's like, you guys are also benefiting, you know that, because if it weren't for international students paying uh, your tuition fees full, mm -hmm. you cannot get into a school because um, educational loan system relies on foreign investments, which yeah. especially foreign investments, 5% are actually coming from international students. Oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine, for example, like a conservatory like where I came from. If we, we cannot even get any scholarships or grants. That's the thing. Uh, we have to provide that we are capable to pay this amount of money in a semester or in a year. Oh. For example, in the semester, there was in my semester, my first semester, there's only like 10 students, 10 international students, let's say. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then our tuition fee for the month, for the entire semester is like 20, 40, 20 or 40, 20,000, mm -hmm. 20, 25,000, let's say. Yeah. And they're not even going to give you the quotation the general quotation, they will depend on which country are you from. Because I comp uh, there was one time that I had to, I, I was, we were talking about some of my co fellow internationals coyly, like, what? How are you paying this one? I'm paying this certain amount of money. Like in a year, I had to pay $55,000, $65,000 yeah. in a year. So let's say, am I alone? Let's say, um, that is not a, a, an actual price that I have paid, okay? I'm just going to yeah. put that yeah, as a perspective. Just, yeah. yeah. Okay. And divide it into two semesters, which is like 30 to 40, or let's say 40,000, let's say, yeah. a semester. And then you have 10 students. You have 400,000 automatically. Yeah. In one semester. A direct cash flow. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. And like, I mean, for me, I got a little lucky with school. Um, I went to a like a community college, and mm -hmm. so that tuition there was, I think, like two thousand dollars a semester, like to it plus like whatever books cost and books were. You know, books are what books are, um, and so like that ate up a good majority of what my eventual degree like when I went in to get my bachelor's degree what I'd get at a four university but what was what's all like I mean so I got really lucky in that aspect as far as not having coming out of school with like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt you know like my sister did she went to a private catholic school and so she came out with like all this debt and um yeah I know so. Which is ridiculous because it's a scam. Yeah, it really <laughs> the American educational system is like as a scam, yeah. which is ridiculous. Well, to be honest, was... at that time of that height, though, we were like, I no one was daring calling out our teachers. I was like, yeah. either where are my 
dance teachers? Where are my acting teachers? Where are my voice teachers? Where are my musical theater teachers? And where is there the staff that, that I know I'm friends in Facebook? Yeah. I, like, I enlisted down. It's like, where the hell are you? Yeah. Well, why are you not talking about your students who are primarily giving you your salary? Yeah. If it weren't for international students not having you guys, they're paying in behalf of the entire class. Mm-hmm. Where are you to actually Help. talk about and there's only one teacher who spoke about it and there was like a number i even because i even the, as an international student you can only work 20 hours a week at the school and that's the only thing you can work on you cannot work outside yeah which is like it's ridiculous yeah. and that's what we have to deal with yeah well because i remember when the, i remember this night specifically clearly as the moment that I realized the American education system is a scam. It was the night before my graduate college graduation. Me and my buddies were all blackout drunk, like just annihilated mm-hmm. drunk, you know, typical college life, t- typical college life. And the night before graduation, I get a call from our alumni association saying, Hey, we, we saw you just graduated. Um, we, we want you to sign up for the college alumni association and make a donation. And without even hesitation, I yelled into the phone, I'm X amount of dollars in debt. What the fuck makes you think I could afford to donate to the alumni association? I haven't even started paying my student loans back and I just hung up on them. But- oh yeah. Like, that's, what, that's what's insane. Like a lot of alumni associations are not even helpful. It's, it's, yeah. Not, not to turn this into one of those types of podcasts, but no, we're on the same page. I 100% agree. But hey, I am enjoying it. (laughs) I've been to a number of podcasts. Like literally, I, I'm the type of person that wouldn't literally, would just speak my mind. Yeah. But this is all, what I like about it as well and how we went everything and how we direct this like, how an international artist like me have to undergo because this is what not people realize and this is not what people see we would remind this as a foreigner and we would only people would always think oh they're the rich kids mm-hmm. just because they have to pay for something but no people don't under that doesn't have doesn't understand the realities of that like at this time like a lot of like locals and i would like say american students like they're the ones that you're running for, running to for, for them, for you to get an access of alcohol or cigarettes or whatever vice you may have. But you're the one endangering them because they're, they have the, they're the ones have to put up their names and their life on the line for you guys, mm-hmm. which is sadly like being outshined by a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing because we're not apart from us being an international an international artist. We're only we're already being limited. We're also being outshunned because if we don't have our, if we're not in our artist visa, we're not even going to be considered. Mm-hmm. Or I've seen like white passing Latinas or white, like white passing Mexicans would yeah. even play in Italian. I was like, huh? If we're not even like white passing, yeah. it's, we're not even going to be given any opportunities. Yeah. Which that's the sad thing. Which, yeah, which it is, is. And it's, it's not right. Like, yeah, it's just not right. 
right. It's just not right. And that's how, good thing if it weren't for uh, in the middle of the pandemic, like a lot of like developments. And even lately, casting, uh, a lot of uh, main, lead, main casting companies like Telsey and Company, Tara, Tara Rubin, yeah. and Michael Kassar have been spoke, speaking about representation. Because we, there was also a time where in the people of color community in Broadway talk about, hey, look at these casting companies. Look at their staff. Look at their, they don't even have a, a single person of color in their staff. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we were like, oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, why didn't we, why didn't we see that one coming? Yeah. And then lately i've seen like a lot a number of companies are like literally opening up this one's like okay we see you do the effort now walk the talk yeah like because sadly even in the western world like westernization and bastardization of martial arts because i also used to do stage combat and i was a martial artist like how they romanticize stage combat and, and martial arts and sometimes i would say you you should the word martial arts is like literally an art form of combat but when it regards to stage combat, when they use martial arts, like actual fighting, but no, that's not it. It's an art, an art, it's an art of discipline. Mm -hmm. Like that's because, and that's what I have a lot of discussions as well with some people who are into stage combat. Because one of my act, first acting gigs was the New York Renaissance Fair, mm -hmm. where I also did stage combat. Like, no, I, I'm not gonna, especially as an Asian, as a Filipino who have studied, I was a black belt in Taekwondo, and been competing competitive. When you say martial arts to me, I have a different thing. But this is what martial arts is, and this is what you are the the ideology of the Western is with regards to martial arts. Mm. Like we had a long this, this debate on that. And no, you cannot correct me, even though you have you're much more certified with regards of a broadsword or a dagger or a rapier mm -hmm. and Kali, which is a Filipino like sticks mm -hmm. or Eskrima is a Filipino martial art. You're not gonna lecture me because this is not how it is. Us, martial arts is a way of life. Like, as cheesy as it is, yeah. we don't use it for violence. No. And mm -hmm. you guys are depicting violence and you have to be careful about how you guys, like how to tread that one mm -hmm. and how you, everything has been romanticized. And that's a sad thing about it as well in regards of the arts and music as well. Like, I've seen lately that the rise of like, K-pop basically. Mm -hmm. They're romanticizing girl bands but yeah. and K-pop and different kinds of um, music references. Yeah. I mean, K-pop wouldn't be that the early because I was into K-pop as well before. Yeah. Like the early waves, the Hallyu wave yeah. were in with Wonder Girls to anyone, Super Junior, Shiny. They wouldn't be setting the precedence for K-pop if they don't have to if they don't sound westernized. Mm -hmm. You don't sound like American type of music. It, well, the one thing that I don't think people or a lot of Americans realize about K-pop and, you know, all, or, well, we'll stick with K-pop for the most part, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know something more that I don't, haven't they been groomed since they were like four and five to be? A lot of them. A lot okay. of them are being groomed. Yeah. And that's a sad thing as well with regards of colorism. Yeah. And if you're, if your music, there's a lot more talented um, Japanese uh, mm -hmm. and Korean artists that would even merge their traditional sounding pentatonic scales of music yeah. 
to the modern hip hop contemporary pop girl. The sad thing is, it's because if it weren't for the heavy influence of the West, yeah. I mean the Western Hemisphere, the Europe, yeah. Americas, and all that, K-pop wouldn't be K-pop if it they're not being dictated like that. To be honest, when I was traveling a lot as well in Japan and Korea, I was like talking about music, their music. I was like, they're way beautiful. Like I love to be honest. Before K-pop even beca- became a thing, J-pop is a thing. Mm-hmm. Japanese pop, especially yeah. anime, manga, and I was like, a lot of my friends are getting into anime. I was like, you're just getting into that. I was like, for me, I was like, what's a big deal? Because growing up, I've been watching a lot of anime. It's like every single day mm-hmm. in Asia because it's just a regular thing for us. It's just it's our cartoons. Yeah, and no, no, it's manga, it's anime. I was like, nope. There was even a time where everyone had to fight about Avatar being anime or a cartoon. Yeah. Which is sadly is like don't romanticize Asians, please. Just because no. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. how kabuki uh, theater in Japan is almost the same as comedia, mm-hmm. which is like very, but they're very different as well. Like a lot of uh, there was a time where a discussion as well. Why is Miss Saigon and The King and I a show about and the Flower Drum Song mm-hmm. a show about Asians but were written by white people? Which and sometimes it's like, oh, right? There's yeah. like a lot of those, which is why a lot of them are like those kinds of arguments and questions that are that are raised have to be even to look upon, mm-hmm. because that's why people are like not into K-pop and everything. It's like, trust me, that's not how K-pop is before. Yeah. If it weren't for the heavy influence of the West, we wouldn't have, and if it weren't, like, trust me, like. A lot of people are talking about horror movies, especially Halloween that's coming right now. Like yeah. scary movies and all that. I enjoy a really good scary, scary, like gruesome horror movie. Yeah. The ones that I really enjoyed are like from Japan, Korea, Thailand. Oh yeah. Asian horror movies are like another level. Yeah. Well, because that was the thing is uh when I was growing up. I had a friend that was like really into horror films. And so he knew about all the Asian, the Japanese Mm -hmm. stuff and the Korean, like all the Asian stuff that was going on. And one day a buddy of mine and I were talking about, we had just watched the ring for the first time, like the original. Oh my God. The original ring ring was like scared the hell out of me for like a good week. Yeah. I cannot look into a TV whenever I see I have to cover it up. Yep. <laughs> Just because it's and, that scary. <laughs> and this guy overheard us talking. He's like, oh, did you see the, I, like, I think it was the Japanese version of The Ring or Chinese, like there was a- one Yeah, the original, one. yeah, there's like The Grudge and The Ring has been overly, has turned into like, has been Americanized. Yeah. And yeah. even Shutter Island was Americanized with Leonardo DiCaprio. Shutter Island as well, right? Yeah. Inception as well. Like there's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so he asked if we had seen it, and I was like, nope. And he's like, well, if you were scared by the Americanized version of The Ring, don't watch. Just don't watch. Don't watch the original versions, which is like literally, like it's gruesome. Yeah. My favorite one of all was Thai, the Thai, ver- the Thai movie called Coming Soon. Mm-hmm. I cannot go into any movie theater ever since because. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's so in- so intense. It's so good. Yeah. What What do you think? Is, what do you think the diff or what is the 
difference or from your opinion what is the difference that makes them because i've never uh, seen i've never seen like a a like the original ver- like let's say the original version of the ring since that's kind of where i'm at oh um, yeah yeah oh. okay the way one word okay romanticization romanticism okay like hollywood overly romanticized a lot of things okay well if you're gonna watch have you seen the original the ring though the american version not the japanese watch the original japanese version like literally how the difference between two movies Mm -hmm. is very different how the american version was so overly romanticized is Mm -hmm. very very different and for the japanese original version was like so like To be honest, like I cannot even find a really like, when people say like, "What's your favorite like your favorite horror movie?" I would not reference any American movie because they're all romantic romanticized. Like mm-hmm. that's a horror movie. That's suspense. Yeah. It's nothing compared yeah. to the ones I've seen. Yeah. And then I would put up this movie and I would just be like, "Yo, this is too much." Yeah. I was like, "Yo, told you so." <laughs> yeah. For me, I like the terrible. Like the very bad, scary movies. Like the like the so they're so cheesy. There there's one. I like, laugh on those. Yeah, the there there's like right now I'm kind of going through my annual Halloween. Like oh, got to pull out every horror movie I own and watch them in October. You know I'm kind of going through that phase right now. And the other day I watched this movie called WrestleManiac. And oh God, it, it sounds terrible. Yeah, it it is. It really is. So. Basically, this f- group of filmmakers, they, they make porn, essentially. They're a bunch of porn makers. They're traveling through the back roads of Mexico. And they're looking for this town to shoot a scene or a film or a whatever in. And they stop to ask where the highway is. And the guy's like, oh, well, the closest highway is if you take this road 100 miles and it'll get you to the highway. And then they start talking about this abandoned town where this deranged wrestler was banished to. And if you go into this town, the wrestler is going to kill you. Oh, my God. And so, of course, by pure coincidence, one of the guys on the film crew happens to be a big wrestling fan. And he's like, oh, if we're going past this town, we've got to stop. I've got to, you know, I've got to see this town. And they stop. Their car breaks down. The wrestler comes and kills the entire crew. And it's just like, the movie is so bad. It tries to be really good and tries to be like indie. Uh huh. It is so bad. Like it. I mean, really- that's a sad thing though because I've seen way better indie movies. Yeah. The only indie movie um, that uh, is from the West that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Is Call Me by Your Name. I've not seen that one. It's uh by uh Luca. Uh, I forgot. It was with uh Army Hammer. Okay. And uh, what's it? Timothy Chalamet. Okay. It became a big hit. Okay. But okay. it was a really uh, that's because it's still an indie movie that became a big hit. Yeah. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Okay. It's a it's a re- Luca Guadagino, as yeah. far as I can remember. I think it's a, it's based from a book. And it's a really good depiction of the book. It's really, really nice. It's a okay. really, really great I'll, I'll movie. I'll check that out. But... Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a quite an LGBT movie, but 
the way the story has been told is very in- interesting. The way the movie has executed everything. And they filmed on location in Italy, in a small town in Italy. Okay. Awesome. And then on the other aspect, I like those really gruesome, gross-out films. Like, the <sighs> coming straight to mind, uh, I Spit on Your Grave. I don't know. Have you... I heard about it. I, that was, I believe, around the eras of, like, Saw. The first movie, so yeah. Saw. Yeah. Yeah, I remember around those times, like even uh, Final Fantasy. It's like this yep. is, this is nothing already. Like this is nothing compared to what I've seen. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I remember one night in college, drinking again. Gotta, gotta, yeah. We went and rented the first, or like the like. So they there's like the original 1970s version of I Spit on Your Grave, and then they remade it. Uh, and we bought. Did they the, remade it or did they master it? No, they remade it. It they like completely remade the movie, and we watched it, and just like watched six dudes all drunk watching this film, and some of the stuff that happened in there it was like, oh, that's that's cool. And then there's this one scene where she cuts a dude's dick off with a a, a pair of uh, gardening shears. Yeah. Oh God! And, and like you've never heard a group of grown men groan so loud because yeah, so, and then after watching that, it's like oh, there's a second one. So and then the second plot, the second one, and then the third one, and so yeah, it's either terrible or gross-out films. That's kind of where I'm at on the horror. Story. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah that's what to be honest. With, like, if I'm gonna reference a lot of like Western, like American films and yeah. horrors like that. The most that I really enjoyed too, like uh, Saw. Okay. And yeah, like uh, yeah, Saw is what I really enjoyed. I really, really enjoyed Saw with Jake Saw and uh, what else? Yeah, well, Jake was the, the best. The, the one thing I enjoyed I just, that a lot. Yeah, one that, that that's like an overarching story. So. That, oh yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So and the, Final the, Fantasy though, yeah. I enjoy, but oh, I only enjoyed the final, the first like three Final Fantasies. And the last few was like, ah, this is too much. Yeah. It's no longer, it's no longer, there's no longer, there's no long, no magic anymore, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so this is, those are the only ones that I really like, enjoyed, like gruesome and like horror movies yeah. that I really enjoyed. Gotcha, gotcha. And then as far as uh, plans kind of moving forward with your music, your acting, your dancing, you're working on some original stuff, but um, how's the, and then preparing for the uh, Zoom show in October. That's kind of what you got going on? Yeah, and the Zoom show is next week. I am supposed to be in rehearsal tonight, and I kind of of double-booked myself. And I told them, yeah, I have booked. I forgot to have booked this on this day. I'm so sorry. Okay. Like, yeah, you're good. There's a podcast show. I was like, okay, you're good. But um, I pretty much, the, the entire story is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that there's like a lot of stuff that has been changed okay. and like zoned in, like cut down, and but it's still the same show, so same same show and same story. Okay. And there's apart from that as well, because I'm currently a contracted streamer and live it, mm-hmm. and I really want to bring live theater through that platform as well, mm-hmm. wherein I want to see how I can execute my play into like a virtual play yeah 
and to live it. That's why I'm also trying to settle with OBS, mm-hmm. learning all about that stuff. That's why I have my rigs as well. Yeah. Like I'm trying, I'm finding a way because I'm also trying to collaborate with a lot of our people. And lately, I've been inspired to create more um, a silent film, but it's very underscored of like yeah. some of my original songs that I really want to play that I have on the works as well. Yeah. So it's basically like a musical, but silent movie underscoring. Basically, that's what I have right now. And I'm still seeing how I can actually work that one out soon. And uh, because, of course, at this pandemic, people would always going to find a way to earn an income. Yep. That's why I'm always saying that my privilege, even though I'm a person of color, is that I'm still able to work on the field of artistry. Mm-hmm. I'm being an artist. And that's my privilege. And I don't want to ever take that for granted. I'm a creative director. I'm also an actor and a host. I'm also finding a way to, I'm still able to pursue and materialize everything, even though um, it's not as lucrative. And what, you know what I'm trying to say? Like life of an artist is never lucrative. People would always over glamorize that, but no, that was never lucrative. And that's how I uh, work on as well. Plus, I'm planning to set uh to get a uh, license in order for me to officially record a, so a few songs that I really really love mm-hmm. and master it and release it as my own versions. Nice. Because there's like a number of songs that I really would like to like put up first before I put up my music, my own written music. So that's what I want to do. I want to see. I'm trying to find a way on that one yet. <laughs> awesome. That's that sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. In you know. As far as like your musical endeavors and working on your original stuff, um, do you like, what's that process kind of been like for you? Like being able to, even when you can't go out or when you haven't been able to go out and act or, you know, express yourself that way, what's the process been like for you working on your original music? It's hard. It's hard because I'm primarily a lyricist. I'm not a musician. Okay. But whenever I get an access to like a piano or a guitar or like there's something I'm not, sometimes in my phone, like there's like a piano app in the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I plot um, melodies on there. I write it on, at least for me, I can sight read a little. I'm, I, have, I have a good head on sight, read, sight reading. Yeah. So uh, that's how I do it sometimes. Like I sight read. Or sometimes in the computer we're in, there's like different platforms where you can write music. Mm-hmm. That's how I do it. And it's something that I became really uh, slowly trying to get myself into, especially on the technical side, on mastering side, because I have the Adobe Suite in my end. I was a content creator anyway. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm familiar with Adobe Suite. But mastering a song, and I need, I, at this time, you literally... As, an, as a singer, songwriter, let's say, or as an artist, you, collaboration is life because you cannot do everything. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who can, I can collaborate with because yeah. who can further finesse the work that I'm trying to put out, who can help me master the song and put it out whenever I can yeah. because resources are going to be heavy. Like people have no idea how much you have to pay for you to master your own and release your own song. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I have to even 
ask for a lawyer because I have to copyright a song. Mm-hmm. I have to like, you know, protect my own songs, my own music as well. It's some. It's like it's a very, uh, it's a very different track compared to a lot of artists. I mean, I think that's my main advantage because of my law background. Mm-hmm. So for it is quite a long thing, but there are a lot of inspiration that's coming in. It's just a matter of me putting them together. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I've been going for about an hour, over an hour. Oh, now. are we? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't want to keep you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was, it was one of those things where it's just kind of like, it's always interesting. Like, I, we texted briefly before the podcast just to kind of make sure that we were so good for tonight and what have you. But when it's always interesting to see how these conversations are going to go when you don't have much context behind who the person is if the, are they the soft quiet type are they loud and outspoken are they like can they drive a car you know just like you just don't know the per- personality of people so you just like people always ask me well how long do these podcasts usually last and i was like i mean honestly for me if we could sit here for six hours and chat if if the conversation goes that long i'm down but if oh, that's me as well i'm down yeah it, but if the conversation lasts 20 minutes okay fine that's you know like that's what it is like i'm not gonna sit here exactly. dictate that the you're, you're a great host you're a great host like oh. you're been, we've, we've tackled a lot of stuff yeah. but you're really great as well you're a really great host and that's what i was like have you um have you thought about ever do, doing like your own podcast like yes there were thoughts there were a lot of thoughts about me putting up a podcast but there's also because in live it there's already someone doing a podcast as well and i'm the first guest <laughs> so i'm turning away on how to further uh capitalize my podcast and see if i can do like voice acting podcast okay. podcasts Actually. where i can make it as a series I'm, I'm i'm trying to see how if that how can how i can make it work I've always wanted to experiment with the idea of like it would be a shorter form thing it wouldn't be an hour two hour thing it would be like a 15 minute radio style like back in the 40s and 50s when they used to do like the radio style yes tv show or like well, yeah, yeah the, like, the, the radio style dramas and all yeah, of that like the radio yes. style dramas and comedies I've always had this idea of doing something like that just to see how it went uh, because I've seen a few of them work really well, but the issue yeah, is even, they're so. Uh, I believe the Public Theater did uh, uh, the their production of Richard III in radio. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. I was like, I, I want to know how it's gonna execute that one. Because yeah. I lived in Roswell, New Mexico, for a few years, and one of the theater guys out there who was also an audio. Uh, like he liked to do voiceover work and what have you. He started producing this short podcast series called Roswell BC, which was Roswell before the crash. So, uh-huh. so like life before the alien crash. And it went really well. I think they did like two or three, eight episode seasons. And mm-hmm. then they just kind of ran out of creative juice but it's like 
at the end there, he started picking up steam. It was like, dude, you need to figure out a way to get more creative or bring in a writer or something. Cause he was like really starting to pick up steam and then he ended the entire thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was like, I want to, that's something that I'm quite interested in as well. Cause like, I want to know how it's going to work because a friend of mine has just started doing a table read for a series that he was trying to put up. And a friend of mine, another friend of mine has been making and producing and directing her own show mm-hmm. in YouTube which is now gaining hits and that's now being getting attention of different festivals. Mm-hmm. And that's why for me, I want to see how I'll be able to work on my end. Like I want to make it work on my end because I want to collaborate and capitalize as well on how to make it work with everyone because I want it to be, I don't want it like a lot because there's a lot of bad podcasts right now like talking about like very interview style setting. Mm-hmm. But I have a friend who's doing like, um, talking about all the Shakespeare canons. Oh, that's her. In every episode, it's a different Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. That's what she does, and it's really interesting. And that's what I wanted to do. Like, I want to see how we can make a play reading on that one. Like, what the the public theater has done, but on radio. But I want to see how we can make it happen on my end as well. Like, I want to see if I'll be able to make my write and curate some stuff that I can and how I can finance and fund it as well because not since we're all socially distancing I want us with the same quality I have I'm very quite particular as much as possible I want us to be in the room while we're recording it together Mm -hmm. so that it's easy but of course I have to practice so we all we all have to socially distance and practice social distancing with each other Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but where can everybody find you online? Where can they find all your uh, everything you got going on? Yeah, you can find me at www.francismaboring.com. I'm also very active in my social media, uh, facebook.com slash official Francis Maboring. Twitter, at, like my name, Francis Maboring, without the vowels. <laughs> Instagram and TikTok are like Francis Maboring and also to live it. So download Live It now if you really want. And that's where I'm most active at, Live okay. It, because I'm always hanging out there, singing some songs, some tunes, chatting around, talking. Sometimes I would like play around, go around, and like hang around with everyone. So go check me out there. Uh, it's a free app. You can live stream me there. You can inter- interact with me in the comments. It's L-I-V-I-T. My social media handle is Francis Nabor. So if you're watching or if you're listening to us right now, and tell them like, oh, you were in Live and Amplify. I heard you there. I watched you there. Just go there because there's a lot of like, it's a, a of every, of any live streaming platforms that I have been, um, it has the best sense of community that I, I can actually say. So that's where I really want to look into it as well. That's like, I want to see and bring more people there because it's a really great place for you to be a creator, for you to be also doing your own thing because it's a very new platform here in the u.s yeah is it something that's been used other in other countries or is it yeah it actually originally started i believe in japan or taiwan in asia it's big in there and was recently moved here in the u.s okay uh it was being rolled out here in the u.s as of last year and i've been i've entered my third month already okay and i'm enjoying it a lot nice yeah 
you know, that, that's always, that's re- always the real interesting part about apps and social media and stuff like internationally. Cause I always talk to people like in Asia or in, you know, just other parts of the world. And it's like, Oh, Hey, we're on Facebook. And it's like, Oh, well, we don't use Facebook. We're on this or we're on, you know, they're just on different, uh, like it's interesting what's popular in different countries and may not be available either just isn't popular here or isn't available. Is it just used, it's used differently back in different countries, yeah. Yeah. But um, once again, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate you giving us the time to sit down and chat. It, like you'd mentioned earlier, we covered a whole gamut, a whole plethora of different things. Um, so I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us and just kind of having a good old time. So I really appreciate it. But, I really appreciate you giving the platform for artists and artists like me as well. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we leave, I have to ask you one very important question. Mm-hmm. Since living in New York, what is your favorite American food that you've had since? <laughs> to be honest, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, I always run a poll and live it. Okay. Again, let's do this again. Okay. In and out or Shake Shack? <laughs> and to be honest, I really enjoy, uh, I'm a foodie myself, so I would enjoy different kinds of food. Okay. So as long as it's really interesting, it's, I, would, uh, I enjoy it. It's really good. I taste, it's tasty. I'll, I'll eat it. Okay. Gotcha. Fair enough. Very political answer, but fair enough. I get it. <laughs> but... Uh, it, no, it's just not all, political. <laughs> but it's all good. I, I appreciate it. But uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we will catch you guys later. <laughs>